Hi, I'm Tish Lampert, and this is America Speaks. Welcome back to our continuing conversation on immigration, highlighting the courage and commitment of the undocumented community. For the past 17 years, my journey has taken me across America with my camera, taking the pulse of the nation. As a photojournalist, I take photographs that challenge us to think about how we use our voice. With the election of Donald Trump, I felt it was time to go beyond the impact of a photograph. This podcast series will be a forum to speak out. Each week, our conversation will go beyond the news to get a more intimate sense of those fighting on the front lines and to mobilize around solutions. Today, our conversation will spotlight the undocumented community. In the first four and a half months of the Trump administration, over 65,000 people have been deported. Today, I'm delighted to include Arlene Ferrandelli, formerly of Angel's Flight, Ivan Seya, founder of Undocumedia, and Jonathan Yost, who works with Enrique Morones of Border Angels on the U.S.-Mexican border. And once again, it is a pleasure to include Carla Estrada and Justina Mora, who joined us for our flagship episode with Martin Sheen. Jonathan, can you can you talk about the border? Because that's a huge issue right now with legislation. Uh, absolutely, but it's really, where do I start? Uh, <laughs> it is such a mess. One thing I did want to say real quickly, though, is we always say this. We always say that the immigration system is broken, right? You hear that all the time. For those at the top, the powers that be, it's actually mm-hmm. not broken. It works perfectly. Yeah. I don't know if you all know this, but authorized migration. It is less, much less in sync with economic supply and demand than unauthorized migration. And it's one of the incentives. I mean, that's kind of how it works. So when you have undocumented migrants, you have these communities that are, they, not all of them, of course, but it's like this way to create a pacified and exploitable workforce. So it is by design. And we don't see the behind the scenes work that goes on. But make no mistake, it is not broken for those that have the true power in this country. One thing that I'm really disappointed about when it comes to family separation Uh, The media coverage is that the coverage almost always leaves out what happens to these individuals once they're actually forced across the border. They don't just disappear. Given that many of these people, they've been in the U.S., they've built their lives, they've worked here, lived here, loved here for more than 15 years. They are deported to what has become a foreign land. Mm -hmm. Many people do have family in Mexico, but many don't know that these family members, so the top sending states in Mexico, are actually in the south just thousands of miles away from Tijuana where they're dropped off. So yes, they could go and stay with family. However, number one, that is thousands of miles away. Number two, that would give up the hope of reuniting with the ones they've just been ripped apart from. Given that, many people stay in Tijuana. They stay in Tijuana. These people, they have fulfilling lives. They were surrounded by loved ones. 
and the trauma of being ripped apart, and I know this because I've spoken with so many of them at Friendship Park and through Border Angels as an organization, the trauma that they go through, it puts them at serious risk of a number of things in Tijuana right after they're deported. You're looking at drug addiction, you're looking at mental illness and suicide. There was one father of three in February that killed himself because he was deported. He is not an isolated case. Mm -hmm. This is something that happens on a regular basis. You're also looking at becoming victims of or becoming involved in criminal activity out of desperation. You're looking at deported mothers turning to prostitution and selling their bodies because that's the only way they know how to survive. So if you're faced with that kind of life, you see it around you. You don't want to fall into that. You know that you just can't, especially because you have your family on the other side and you want to stay strong for them. You do what so many people do, and that is cross back into the U.S. And also, keep think of the wound in your heart. Think of the pain of separation, the fear of falling into the lives that so many people around you have, and also that pain that you carry and the pain you know your family members have. So those who have little to no means, typically they have to cross through the desert. And there are even greater risks in the desert. These people, uh, they, for we're talking about family reunification here, right? But they also, they cross for economic opportunities to flee poverty, right? And escape violence. These individuals, they face rape, kidnapping, robbery, and murder at the hands of criminal organizations, anti-immigrant militias, rogue border patrol agents. And the number one risk of all is fatal exposure to extreme heat and cold. When you die from extreme exposure, you basically cook in the sun. It is horrific. And why have these risks been introduced, right? Why are people dying at record numbers? Well, the reason why is because we have militarized the border since the mid-1990s. And it has forced people away from the safe crossing areas they use for decades and into the most dangerous areas. So this Can I just stop you for yeah. a second on these numbers? So yeah. how is the press covering this at all? I've seen little to, to no press coverage, at least in you know major major press outlets. Um, it's been a silent humanitarian crisis since the mid-1990s. The different situations people can find themselves in with cartels hiring coyotes to bring people across as a result of U.S. policy, increasing rates to, to pay to go across. I just want to throw a number out at you, though. Since the mid-1990s, the first time the border became militarized, by the way, there is a border wall. It's about 700 miles of border wall. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't do a very good job of keeping people out. That's another thing. There's a 92% success rate for migrants who cross more than once into the U.S. 92%. Just $150 billion at least spent since 9-11. $150 billion. So what would that look like with Trump? What would it look like with Trump? Well, people with determination and spirit and what they have on the line, they're going to get through. Mm -hmm. There's no other alternative. It's that or die. And guess what? More than 8,500 human beings, men, women, and children, have died since 1994, which is the first operation, the first policy that militarized the border. So the deaths will continue. Under Trump, the border is already and will become more militarized. And this is the equation. More militarization combined with more deportations, that leads to more tragic deaths mm -hmm. and families being devastated, communities being devastated.
Starting right after the Great Recession, in, uh, from 2000, right at 2009, for the first time since the 1940s, there was an actual switch in net migration between the U.S. and Mexico. Right. So we're talking, where was Trump in 2009? You know, he was not in the White House. He was not claiming he was going to do all these things when it comes to enforcement. So there's been a switch, right? There was, a, there was actually a net outflow from 2009 mm -hmm. to 2013 or 14. Ever since then, it's been a net zero. Okay, so people have not been coming. Number one, the housing market crashed. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's mm -hmm. a huge um, turn to the labor, the undocumented labor force in construction, basically decimated. You had a lot of people going back to Mexico. Mex Mexico's economy was a little stronger. The wage differentials were a little, a little shorter. The birth rate in Mexico as well. I just want to shift for a second and talk to Arlene about when you were the director at Angel's Flight and you were actually the touchstone to many young, mm -hmm. undocumented teens who came here for countless reasons. So did you see them deported and then come back again? Oftentimes they would be deported and come back, but we don't know what happened to them. They had family here and they were reunited with a family member, but that didn't stop the court hearing and didn't stop the deportation of the child because it was a temporary situation. So we would not know what happened to these young people. So this brings up this topic of the window of DACA. I see citizenship and a pathway to citizenship in perpetual limbo. We can't turn to our political parties, the setup to fail. We see what's going on with voting because that's really not providing us that as a platform. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of DACA recipients that are just in a perpetuating limbo. What will it take to change that? To give a little bit of context about DACA, so it gives undocumented youth uh, the ability, certain undocumented youth who meet certain criteria, uh, the ability to get a temporary work permit. And this work permit is only available for two years and people have to renew it. And they have to make sure that they continue to meet the same requirements. If we look at the DACA program, it only benefits about 800,000 800, people. Mm -hmm. There's about 1.4 million, I believe, who would be eligible. But the DACA program is temporary. It can be taken away at any point in time. The president can say, you know what, I don't like the program. I'm going to sign in an executive order and then take it away. So that's definitely going to affect hundreds of thousands of people. And the fact that we have immigrant families, many people live in a mixed status families. We have undocumented youth graduating from high school thinking about going to college. Of course, you know, they're going to be afraid because most of their life they've been thinking that they were going to have DACA as soon as they graduated from high school. But the, also another problem with DACA is what we talked about, about the good immigrant and bad immigrant narrative. The fact that DACA is being used to also push that narrative forward. And that says us, the undocumented youth, the ones that benefit from DACA, the, you know, the role models, we are the good immigrants and everyone should follow our footsteps. And the reality is that that's not possible because we have people like our parents who never had those opportunities when they were young. They basically sacrifice everything so that we could have those opportunities, so that we could go to college and get a degree and have better opportunities than they had. So that's another problem with DACA. So we have to think outside of the box and we have to think beyond legislation and start thinking about what it means to think as everyone, as full human beings. And mm -hmm. I think the moment we mm -hmm. tackle this narrative and we challenge this notion that anyone who is not a dreamer is not worthy of having citizenship, I think then we're not going to move forward. 
because I see people like my mom who sacrificed so much so that my two siblings and I could have the best in our lives. She should be the one getting U.S. citizenship right. because she sacrificed right. so much. You know, she's my hero. She saved my siblings' life. And I wouldn't be talking here with you all today if it hadn't been for her. So when I see people like Sessions and Trump saying that people like my mom are criminals, I just think, well, where were you when you were being called to be drafted to go to war? What does that make you? A coward, right? Were you concerned that the government has all this information on you because you filled out the DACA application? I'm actually more concerned about my parents. Yeah. I've been doing this for quite a while. Mm -hmm. So it has come to kind of disregarding sometimes my own safety for my family and for my community. When people ask me, are you scared that they will deport you? You know what? Not anymore. I'm, in, I'm at the point that I'm just like, you know what? If they deport me, so what? But then I get in the mentality of I'm like, oh, like what about my parents? Or what about the parents of my friend that have sacrificed everything? Their parents have died themselves and they never went to see them. They deserve something here in this country. And to that point, um, obviously my narrative, it's different than a person that has dog and has children in the country. Obviously they're terrified to get deported because their information is in the system. It just depends on the person that you ask. We are different, very complex people with different stories, different family situations. But in terms of me, Carla, I'm at the point that I just, that I expected. I expect backlash sooner or later, either by the system, by the government, or by the people of the United States. But then we're, we, we have a broken system. We definitely have a broken we system. We have a system that, that it's not going to take, take the usual route. And it's going to problem. take many years to fix. Mm -hmm. uh, and many, many, many years to fix. Because this is no longer a policy problem. This is a humanity mm -hmm. problem. The United States has, has an issue of humanity. A huge issue of recognizing human beings mm -hmm. like human beings. I have heard that their families are now signing powers of attorney to yes, um, uh, actually, make sure that their kids are, are taken care of by someone else just yes. in case they don't come home that day. Yes, my parents actually gave me power of attorney of their assets or bank accounts and etc. when Trump got elected. Because my parents have seen more police activity in our town of Chino. Hell, like I'm even giving my Justino power of attorney of all my assets when I tried to go to Mexico through advance parole. Well, you so, know, this is such an interesting yeah. thing, though, because this is basically the fundamental discussion on mentality that's happened in this country. Diversity versus exclusion. It's hard to understand what it is going to take to make the changes. And I'm aware I'm saying this, acknowledging the privilege of being a third generation American. And the privilege of whiteness and citizenship comes with this mentality of entitlement, which we all are supporting, not just as white Americans, but it's also directly against the grain of what created this country. And so now all of a sudden there's this shift of closing the door. You made a comment to me, Justino, about freedom. One community is free, we're all free. Let's talk about what this notion of freedom is. We're not free until everyone is free. Because let's assume that I get U.S. citizenship. Does that mean that I'm really free? And I think I'm not because 
there's going to be other people who are going to be oppressed, who are going to continue to face deportation threats, who are going to continue to face police brutality. So I won't be able to see myself as completely free until those people are also free. Everyone has a personal responsibility to get involved in the movement and fight for everyone's freedom. And this is definitely a long fight. I don't see it ending in my own lifetime. Don't you think it's also our responsibility as, as white Americans? Yeah, I think it's everyone's responsibility because it's an issue of human rights, basic mm-hmm. human rights. And I think that if we have some privilege, we have to use it. So for instance, I have the privilege of having an education from UCLA, of knowing the language. So when I came to the U.S. and then I learned the language, I helped my mom translate certain documents that she got from the hospital or the bank. So I was using that privilege of knowing the language and having this education. So I need to use that privilege to be able to help other people. And I think we all have that responsibility as well. And when you are out on the street and you're seeing what's going on daily, I mean, to just go back to this notion of mentality, you've seen it with teens who are not supported, who have nothing Mm -hmm. and nobody, and then they're just thrown out. And even if they're not taken out of the country, you've seen this at Angel's Flight where you're demoralizing Mm -hmm. a young person's Mm -hmm. hopes. I don't remember who said it, but we are all at risk because it could be, I'm Jewish, I could be the next group that gets sent out. It could be because I have green eyes. They just decide, okay, all the people with green eyes, we don't want you anymore. It just could be anybody. So 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 we're really in this together. We have to be in this together. So as we close now, I really would like to understand what that means, because if there's ever to be a pathway to get out of limbo, We've got to get to this. Two points I want to add to that, and that is this idea that we're constantly in competition and in order for one to win, another one has to lose. And that is seen, I think, in the youth. People have this notion that by granting me a pathway to citizenship, it's going to render their citizenship less valuable. And that's not the reality. It just means, guess what? We will be both in a position where we can better focus on the issues that actually matter. So that's really important. And then secondly, I've been challenging myself. What does it mean to be unafraid? What's gonna make me a better asset to my community? And by that, I mean a better activist. And that is my freedom. What is freedom? I consider myself free, but not by the terms of like freedom that we mentioned earlier, more so in the term that I'm no longer after papers. I don't care right now after papers. What I care about is, you know, my community being healthy, my community thriving, because I don't find freedom in papers. When I get papers, I'm still going to have to worry about how to compete to put food on the table. It's not going to make all those other problems that we share just as humans go away. And two, I am free because I'm fearless. When I said I'm undocumented and unafraid, that threat of I'm going to call ICE on you every day that we experience in comments doesn't matter. I'll call them for you. I'll tell you where I live. Come at me. You don't want to mess with me. So I think that's where I find my freedom. And it makes us better organizers and, you know, just showing people, hopefully, hey, like, we don't have to be in constant competition with one another. Just if we learn to get along and respect one another, we can focus on what actually matters and also realizing that the issues aren't within our borders. Ultimately, it's a worldwide issue. And if you don't learn to see it under an international lens, you're never going to fix immigration. I think we also have to see it from uh, an intersectional lens and realize that we have to engage in intersectionality politics because if we don't, then we're not going to be able to move forward and be able to achieve freedom, not only for our communities, but also for everyone else. And I think that was one of the pitfalls of the immigrant rights movement that we always preach to the choir. 
And we saw this happening in the 2008, 2009, 2010, and even till today. And I think we have to be more conscious about what we're doing whenever we launch campaigns and make sure that we also go out of our comfort zone and engage people in other communities, go to the other communities who are also being oppressed so that we can build a more stronger movement. The problem that has to be tackled and considered in reality is how to break through xenophobia, racism, and intolerance. And that's why education is so important. And I'm not talking about college education. And No, no, no. I'm talking about education in terms of exposing individuals to humanity and teaching them tolerance and respect, that type of education. Because academic education and in life education is completely different things. When we have a belief as human beings, it is really hard to get out of those beliefs. Mm -hmm. It is really hard to abandon what you grew up in, what you know, and consider another point of view. And that takes a long time and that takes a lot of patience. Mm -hmm. And you know, my, my friend Matthew put it really, really nicely. He said that you practically have to destroy yourself in order to see another perspective. Because, um, for example, if you take a white male, a white Christian male heterosexual, and you tell him, you know what, you can't be like that, you're wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. There's nothing wrong with immigration. And that person grew up with those beliefs, with that upbringing. They're going to be like, no, they're going to reject it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So right now, what is important is to target the young generation, the teenagers, the children, and expose them to other ideologies and other stories in order for them to grow up with that and harbor that and then teach it to their future children. That's why Justino said that we are not going to see progress right now. It's going to take generations. And that's why we say that everyone needs to be in solidarity with this fight because it's going to take the whole nation to even change just one degree. This is a long fight where I don't think we're ever going to, we're, we're going to die fighting for this. The red card is a kind of like a credit card size card that shows you your rights. Like you can read it off to, to, the, to the person that it's detaining you, in the case will be the ICE officer. And, um, but just so you guys know, I could just give you a brief. So there's many ways to protect yourself. And you do have rights, by the way, you do have rights. Um, one of them is to maintain silence. Just maintain silence. You can, you may say your name and, and make sure it's your actual legal name. You, you don't want to give a fake name because then you will get into one other problem, <laughs> but it's your actual name, just say your name. Most likely if they are, uh, have a warrant for you or they were looking for you specifically, they most likely they will take you. So when, if, if they take you or they take you, then you, the first thing that you have to do is that you have to tell them that you have a right to, to contact an attorney. Um, a common mistake that a lot of our people do is that the first thing that they think about is to obviously contact our family, obviously. However, um, if you have an attorney in mind, which everyone should right now, like I have a, a number of an attorney memorized, contact that attorney first because that's a priority and then tell that attorney to contact your family and then after that do not sign anything at all ICE is well known for to um to threaten you and humiliate you and and to intimidate you 
So no, no matter what they say that you're going to go to jail for 20 years and 10 years and you're, or etc., the important thing is not to sign anything if you have even a chance to fight in your own deportation. The moment you sign that, it's a voluntary departure and it's expedite. It means that you will leave right away. You will not go in front of a judge. It's an expedite removal. So that's very crucial for you not to sign anything because then we, you have no hope practically. So, and now if you are, there's another cards or in other flyers as well to talk about what to do if, if ICE comes to your home. Um, and this is very important for people that have like other undocumented people living in their home or their mixed status. Um, so what I can do is that, let's say that they knock on the door, do not open the door because the moment that you open the door, you are letting them, you're permitting them to enter your house and search you and the people in the house. So that's a big no, do not open the door. It doesn't matter if they want to break it down or whatever, they threaten you. Again, do not open the door. Um, now, like you have to ask them to give um, to, to give you their warrant and the warrant cannot be signed by an officer, it has to be by a judge. So put them like, they have to put it like under, like under the door or something for you to see it. And then, Obviously, if they do have that, then you you have to like inform an 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 immigration attorney. So that's your priority, as always. Now, um, there's other instances as well that um, ICE goes to goes into someone's um, job. So let's say that you are an an employer, and, and and you know, and ICE comes to your to your business looking for a specific individual. It is very important for you not to let them into the warehouse or the restaurant or whatever, because then you're giving them permission to take everybody else there if there's other immigrants. When you so, say you, you mean the employer. The employer. Okay. So in this case, if the employer, if you if you're an employer or or a manager or the person in charge and ICE comes into the business and tells you that they're looking for whoever person, it's very important for you to be like, you know what, well, I'll bring that individual to you, but not let them into the establishment. Because mm -hmm. then you're giving mm -hmm. them permission to take other people and you're gonna panic the community. The community are probably gonna see like a, a border, like a, an ICE agent and they're gonna freak out, they're gonna run, they're gonna cry, and that's a whole other issue. Uh, now, if you Carla, if, can I ask mm -hmm. one question mm -hmm. just before you mention this with the red cards? Mm -hmm. So when they do stop you and let's say it's on the street and they're just going to pick you up, do you have the right to use your cell phone? Um, no. Uh, well, so how once, do you make once, that call? Once to? you are stopped by, by an ICE agent, the priority is to maintain silence and to show the, the red card or whatever card you have, like detailing your rights. You can print that on Border Angels or on documentmedia.org. Um, How however, do you distribute these cards to your community? Um, you can print them out by the dozens and, and just, and just give them to, to your yeah. friends and family. Um, like... If if you if you don't have a printer, I'll I'll either make it a, a a personal mission to send them to you if possible, <laughs> but I, I will help you. Um, Are however, you seeing results with this? Yes, there's yeah. people that have actually yeah. like been saved saved by that, um, and they have contacted their attorneys, and and the I think the Border Angels cards. If you go to their website, it's very comprehensive and it tells you what not to do, not to run. Um, not, not to get um, 100 miles like close to the border and etc. So definitely check out Border Angels, check out on documentmedia.org for that information. But let's go back to the employer because ICE has been going a lot to the to to um, businesses 
lately so if you see if they do go into the to the for example the warehouse that's the most common warehouses um, if they go into your work the first thing they have to do is not run do not panic because then that will create a lot of problems for yourself and, and, and the people that you are working with. If, if, if they're starting to take people and, and you are one of them, if you, car, if you, if you have car keys, for, for instance, make sure to throw them at the, at the, at the, at the nearest person that you know so, so um, they can open your car and, or give them to your family members because just by hiring someone to open in, um, the car of a vehicle that is locked, it's like $100. So make sure to do that. Always carry at least $20 like somewhere in your pockets, um, somewhere on you, because if, if by the if if you do get deported, if a person has a deportation order because it was a priority, then there's not much you can do whether you like um, sign something or not. Um, so you want to have money on you in order for mm -hmm. to protect yourself like on the other side, to have enough money to probably go to a hotel or, or, or to the nearest um, like a, a place that has a phone to call your family members and tell them where you are you mean if, if mm -hmm. you're deposited on, at the border if you're deposited yeah. at the border yeah. like in, you in have Chihuahua. to have at least yeah. at least some type of cash in order to kind of contact your family members and so everybody has been instructed to keep cash keep cash in i want to go back to the keys so mm -hmm. let's say the keys for the car so mm -hmm. they don't see people throwing them or this is just a discreet action yeah, this is you actually know, you know i mean mm. this is actually stuff that was done during the gestapo yeah. Yeah. yes um, i mean this is very reminiscent yeah. of germany 1940 yeah what my parents are um do is that they leave their their car keys on their lunch boxes mm -hmm. so if anything happens like the, there's something that we can go pick up and I've also so, heard that a lot mm -hmm. of families are having other families sign power of attorneys. Yeah. So yes. if they're deported, that their children mm -hmm. can have a legal yeah. um, um, benefactor. That's that yeah. hard. Yeah. That's hard because um, the, the the different uh, states have different um, like rules yeah. regarding power of attorney of children. Um, however, you you can um, uh, like make a letter and and sign it in order to. Kind of give some type of jurisdiction of like to some other individual but an actual like say on on the future of your children that's a that's a, a legal battle and takes months mm -hmm. and something that we're telling immigrant mm -hmm. families is to um you know reach out to their you know other family members who might be u.s citizens legal permanent residents and asking them to you know in the in the you know possible scenario that they get detained deported if those family members would step up and take care of the children. So that's when many, you know, that's what I did with my family. We have a nephew and we, you know, we told uh, uh, an uncle, if anything happens, if he could take care of my little nephew. Um, so I know that a lot of immigrant families, that's exactly what they're doing since the majority of us live in mixed status families. So it's very likely that we might have a family member or a very close friend who is a U.S. citizen or legal permanent resident. And this is where, you know, they can use that privilege to come and protect uh, undocumented immigrant families. Mm -hmm. Is the card in English and Spanish? Yes. Yes. And also another important thing is your your bank account. Right. So um, if by the chance that you get deported to whatever country, whether it's Mexico, El Salvador, whatever you're from, uh, most of the time, if you try to use your debit card, you will have a hold because oh. it's another country. Right. Therefore, um, it is important for you to have like someone else um, in this country, whether it's a brother, sister, or friend, to have like some uh, 
if a letter of attorney in order for in the case that you're mm -hmm. gone, then, then they so can, a power they can, of attorney. They can use yeah. it in order to to send you money yeah. then, or. Or um, they can call the bank and be like, you know what, this person it, it's in another country right now, mm -hmm. and therefore we would like to unlock that in case that person uses it, then they won't have a hold or, or, or a lock. So I am actually doing that with with Justina. Like I'm I'm actually um, planning to travel with Advanced Pro to my native country on um, by the end of July and early August, and I know the risk, especially right now uh, right now under the current administration. Mm -hmm. Please be careful. Um, and 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 I'm willing to take the risk. And I actually told him, I'm like, I'll, I'll give you everything I have. Invest it well in the stock market. Yeah. Make, my, make me my rich, phone please. number in your pocket. I know a few. <laughs> but I, so, I want to go back to yeah. one last thought on this, which we didn't cover. And then, Martin, you've been so gracious. Um, so I just want to briefly mm -hmm. interject bail. So you said that Mary was going to be provided bail money, and I don't want to have a, yeah. a lengthy thought on this, just quickly. Yeah. How do you post bail if you're deported in a deportation center? Yeah, so w when people get detained, um, immigration agents, they have the discretion to uh, initiate those proceedings to keep you inside, but they also have the flexibility to, you know, allow people to, you know, uh, pay uh uh, the bail so that they can you know go out and then fight their case outside of the detention center um, in those cases um, you know they're kind of rare um, and it depends significantly on you know a couple of things definitely the immigration agent because it's their discretion to do that and then secondly if that person has the community behind them and an immigration attorney to fight for their case and fight for you know for the immigration agent to allow them to post bail um, so in the case of Mary that happened you know there's a lot of um, you know, so Mary's a trans woman. She was detained by ICE, and she's currently in the detention center. And they and got also, can we comment briefly that it's a very it's a vulnerable part of exactly. our society if you are yes, transgender. Trans yeah, yeah, so if you're a transgender person here in the U.S., you're more likely to you know be abused than any other person. So when it comes to undocumented immigrants, uh, uh, if you're a trans person, you're more likely to get abused inside of the detention centers. Um, so in her case. Um, you know, she, she, they gave her that option to, you know, uh, post bail and then she okay. can move out. So that's something that we're asking people to do because that's something that is, you know, uh, really, you know, you can just give a donation and then, you know, they'll be able to move, you know, and, and go out of the detention, cent detention center and be able to fight for her case right outside. Okay. So that's something Thank that we're you. doing. Where can people donate? That's a good question. So let me look up the link really quickly. Um, so if people go to our uh, Instagram page at UndocuMedia, we actually have the link on our biography. And what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to go ahead and post it on our page, Facebook page as well, UndocuMedia, so they can go and the, the link will be uh, visible. And the, the link is actually bit.ly forward slash liberate Mary. So if they click on Say that, that link, again yeah. slowly, please. Yeah. yeah. So the link is bit.ly forward slash liberate Mary. So if people go to that link, they're going to be taken to the GoFundMe page where they can go ahead and provide a donation. And then, you know, that's going to help her to, you know, post bail and be able to go out of the det detention center so that she can fight. For so if you outside. can get bail, do it because it yeah. is way easier to fight your deportation case outside. Correct. So if yeah. you can, some um, like uh, judges are a little bit more difficult than others. Yeah. 
but you but if you can fight for that battle you do it because it would be a world's you have a much better a chance. much yeah. better chance and, and uh, so we're, we're we're closed i don't want to carry on any further but i just want to bring this last notion up is that all of this information will be on the website of yes. undocumedia correct which we said last week, yes. but we'll get it again. Could you give those letters specifically, undocumented? Uh, yes. yes, it's U-N-D-O-C-U-M-E-D-I-A dot com. Or work. Dot work. Both. It actually works both ways. <laughs> <laughs> I made sure, so you're <laughs> completely fine if they type and, dot com or dot org. And finally, this will be posted on my website, tishlampert.com. It will be on Kathy Eldon's website of Creative Vision. It will be on the Culture of Peace Foundation's website at the United Nations, at undocumedia.com, at undocu travelers. And I believe also it is at borderangels.com. Mm-hmm. Dot org, I think. Dot org. Yeah. Borderangels.org. And finally, it is on Cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you all. This yeah. has just been. These proceedings are concluded. <laughs> <laughs> this has been amazing. You guys, that was well really Thank you. Don't be sorry. I'm delighted. Oh. Yeah. It is my honor to be speaking to Enrique Morones, who is the founder and director of Border Angels on the United States U.S. Mexican border. Enrique, would you Enrique, would you tell us a little bit about this amazing program that you set up at the border with Friendship Park? Sure. So Border Angels is um, has been around for 31 years now, and I'm delighted to be able to talk to you today. We're a faith-based group that I had the honor of starting here in San Diego in 1986 before there was a wall between the United States and Mexico. And sadly, uh, that same decade, 1986, Ronald Reagan had said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And 10 years later, the United States built their own wall, Operation Gatekeeper, starting right there where Friendship Park is today. And it's called Friendship Park, but it's not a friendly place. There's a wall, families can't touch each other, they can barely see each other through this wire mesh. And it's a, uh, the heart and soul of this immigration issue. So for several years, Border Angels has been doing an event on Children's Day. Because we in Mexico celebrate Children's Day on April 30th. And we usually have toys and, and, and food for the children and so forth. And a few years ago, I talked to the Border Patrol chief because I meet with them on a regular basis. I've been doing that for decades. And I said, Chief, when we have Children's Day this year, this year being 2013. How about if we open up the door, the emergency door between San Diego and Tijuana for a few minutes and let children uh, you know, and parents you know, see each other and all that type of thing without the wall? And he goes, sure, that's a good idea. I couldn't believe it. When we had the two minutes and the door opened, a little girl saw her dad, jumped into his arms and hugged him for the first time in her life. Oh my gosh. That was so emotional that we couldn't talk. We're all crying and so forth. And I said, after they sadly closed the door and and Jimena had to go back to Tijuana and Luis back to San Diego, I said, this is what we should do on Children's Day. We should open up the door and allow children to hug their parents or grandparents, sometimes for the first time in their lives, 
And since that time in April of 2013, we've done it five times now. But now it's not two minutes, it's 20 minutes. And now the last time we did it, we had six families do it. So we're trying to increase the amount of times we do it in a year and the amount of families that can participate. So what is amazing to me is that during this really inhumane era with Trump and these deportations and I would imagine what I think is going to be four years of increased anguish for all of these families. This is the only positive outcome that I can find that allows any kind of family humane, uh, not just treatment, but uh, allows families to have a humane way to interact. So are you seeing a lot of families or parents who have been deported uh, remain in Tijuana so that they could have an opportunity to see their loved ones uh, at Friendship Park? Well, since um, for the last five years or so, more people have been returning to Mexico than coming here. That's been going on for five years now. It has nothing to do with Trump. It's because the economy in Mexico has gotten stronger and of course, people would much rather be in Mexico than be here in the United States if, if they're from Mexico. So we've seen more undocumented people return to Mexico in the last five years. We, myself being Mexican, we are no longer the largest group of migrants that come without papers. That's, that changed a few years ago. Now it's actually Central Americans. Mm -hmm. And even with the Central Americans being the largest group, overall people have been leaving the United States for the last five years because anywhere in the world, people would rather be in their homeland. And this immigration issue is much bigger in other parts of the world. Last year, we had about 400 people that died crossing the U.S.-Mexican border, crossing the only way they can, because there's no visas for them. There's no line for them, so they risk their lives in the desert. Well, we had 400 cross on this border, U.S.-Mexico. In Europe, there was 5,000 people that crossed from Northern Africa and the Middle East into Europe. So it's a much bigger issue in other parts of the world. And when you mention for the next four years with Trump, I hope that it's not the next four years. I hope it's only a year and a half or so, because I truly feel that people will wise up and say, here's a person that's not qualified to be president. He's doing all the wrong things. The whole world is watching, and he needs to be impeached. So I hope that's what happens. And I know that the overwhelming majority of the country never expected Trump to be president. It's a very dangerous situation. And he, since he started his campaign of fear and hate, attacking us, specifically people like me, Mexicans, calling us rapists and criminals, since he started that, there has been a dramatic increase in hate crimes. Uh, people scared to take their children to school because they're scared that they might be picked up by the, the Border Patrol and things like that. So it lends itself to another type of crime and we need to stand up and say, we will not tolerate this type of behavior from Donald Trump or anybody else. And, you know, it's so interesting because I had the privilege of speaking to Jonathan, who told our listeners a lot about the Mother's Day event at Friendship Park and was able to really express the urgency at the border, especially as we hit these sweltering months, you know, and here we are, a country 
that has absolute no conscience with uh, climate damage, etc. And now we're looking at these temperatures hitting record numbers. How do you get water and what do you do to supply relief to those that don't realize the urgency they're in? Sure. So just yesterday, we had a lot of students from the University of California in Irvine, and these are medical students. Just yesterday, we went out and put water in the desert. It was 120 degrees, wow. 120 degrees. And the record for that part of the country is 127. So between 120 and 127, it's not that much of a difference. And believe me, it was extremely hot. We know we have cell phones, we have our cars there. These are medical students, and they were becoming overwhelmed with the heat. And what we ask people to do when they join us, because we have several water drops every month, the big one being the one that Jonathan leads on the third Saturday, we ask everybody to bring two gallons of water each, because that's the water we put out there. But we also ask people to join us in supporting us with donations. Maybe it's a non-perishable food or new clothing or monetary donations, because we are a 501c3 nonprofit, and we've had literally thousands of volunteers. I have two volunteers in the office right now. One is from Mexico, one's from Belgium. So we have international volunteers, not only people from San Diego or the U.S. or Mexico. From here to the border is only 20 minutes. So we have record numbers of volunteers. We have record number of inquiries. And it's important that we all participate, that we do not be silent, Definitely vote next year for, for Congress and so forth. But vote right now. There's, there's elections going on all over for school boards, city council, etc. And those that can, can't vote, they're not 18, they don't have papers, whatever it is, they can participate. There's a lot of great organizations out there that they can volunteer and participate with. Ours is uh, borderangels.org, and, and we really appreciate the opportunity and support that we receive from you, Trish, and reaching out to us to talk about these issues because... The whole world is watching, and we don't want our children and grandchildren to say, where were you? Where were you in that very dark period of Donald Trump? What did you do? Did you stand silently by, or did you rise up and do something? Absolutely, and I want to really um, emphasize to everyone listening today, you know, we have a moral responsibility, and I find that at this time in our humanity, in our society, that what I see with an organization like yours is an opportunity not only to give and participate, but to learn and to become part of a movement that really will not only make you proud, but make your children proud, and to actually teach those who are intolerant about human kindness and support. So one more time, can you just give our listeners how to reach you and um, your website? And also, could you tell us where we can find Friendship Park? And when we uh, donate to Border Angels, do we also donate to the effort that exists at Friendship Park? So you can reach us, yes. You can reach us on our website, which is borderangels.org. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, you know, we're on all the social media. Or you can call our offices here in San Diego at 619-487-0249. 
619-487-0249 and leave a message with your phone number because when you participate with us, one of the many things we do is we do a lot of actions at Friendship Park. So you're definitely helping Friendship Park because the biggest event there every year now is the opening the door of hope, which we did last year. We did it twice on April 30th and November 20th weekend, which is Worldwide Children's Day. And just next month on July 8th, we're going to have binational yoga. So we have binational yoga, we have binational concerts, we have binational events. Uh, we're going to have a um, walking for friendship. It's going to be a 5K walk towards the wall on both sides. So we do a lot of different types of activities because when people see this, they go, what do you mean that little girl can't hug her dad every weekend? What do you mean that people can't reach out and even shake hands? And hopefully somebody in Washington, regardless of which side of the aisle they're on, will say, I didn't realize that veterans are being deported. Mm. I didn't realize that children are being separated from their parents against their will. And the correct action will be taken. And someday, hopefully not too far away, we will have humane immigration policies. Thank you so much, Enrique. This was truly an honor. And I want to reach out to everybody and anybody who has a job in Washington or has any ability to make an impact with their legislators to write them about the work that Border Angels is doing because I think it really is a way for us to see a different way to approach this very difficult issue because we truly need to come together as a humanity now. So I want to thank you and I'm going to turn off the mic in 